Hello, listener. Sven here. Now, distance can be daunting, but sometimes we have to come up with a technical solution to make it work. In this episode, I contacted the guest, and the guest recorded their side of the interview, and so the sound's a little bit different, but you know what? It was still a great conversation. Thank you so much to Aditya for reaching out to me and helping make this happen. Now, on to the show. I, I know some of the projects I've done in the past, I can look back on them and be like, I know that in the year leading up to me writing these lyrics, like this, this, and this would happen. And so subconsciously, like that's what bubbled up to the surface it, through this music. This is Champagne is also a band podcast. One songwriter, one song. I'm Sven, your host for a journey into the music of Champagne Urbana. Recorded in the Blue Box studio with a songwriter from the Champagne Urbana music scene, past or present. Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to be a part of the Champagne Showers podcast network. Welcome to Champagne is also a band podcast. Today, we're going to be talking to Aditya Kashup. You may know Aditya from the Data Waves, CJ Run, STLB, whatever you're into, and some solo DJing that he does around town. Aditya, welcome to the show. Thank you. Appreciate it. And today, we're going to be listening to your song day after day from the recently released album onyx so without further ado let's listen to the song
My first and favorite question to always ask is, what came first with this song? Was it the words or was it the music? It was the music. Um, I primarily start with the music and then the melody comes next and then the lyrics come last. That's usually the way I go about it. The reason I wanted to talk about this song in particular is because this is kind of what started everything by accident. You may know uh, Siobhan Ruggeram, the drummer for Data Waves. He and I uh, met up over the summer, this past summer, and uh, we just decided to jam and write some songs together, whatever it may be. Basically, I picked up his bass, which has some sort of malfunction with it. His bass kind of does this thing where there's something wrong with the circuits inside of it and has this buzzing, distorted sound on it. I thought it was kind of cool. It kind of sounded like a synthesizer or something so that opening line today after day is not a synth at all it's actually a bass that has a lot of distortion on it so the song started with that little bass line intro on uh, Siobhan's <laughs> broken bass and that sort of inspired that I was going to ask you about what kind of effects that you put on there because there's there's even like this kind of flange sound to it or something like that that you might have thrown on but you know was it making that sound or did you add more things to it in terms of effects there were some more things added to it um there is like like you said it's either a flanger a chorus or a vibrato i think it's a vibrato i i get them all mixed up i don't know too much about that stuff <laughs> i th i think that like all of those crossover to each other in some ways. So I think even if you said it was just a chorus, you'd be right that it's kind of a flange at the same time. Because I think it's that warbly sound that gets created. So that's either vibrato or it's, you know, or, or a chorus. Right. So that, that song is different from the rest of the songs in the album because that uh, that song has two guitars and two basses and drums. So, okay. So there's one doing doing that line and then the bottom, what you would normally associate with bass. Like that sound. Mm -hmm. Just the low, the low root notes just to hold down the bottom end. But I, I was kind of curious about the, the, the choice of just that first line, which is take the sores from better days. And is there, is there a particular reason that you chose uh, like sores as the metaphor or, or was there um, a particular story about that that made sense to you to begin that way? So I guess that first line makes a little more sense in context. So the first line is, uh, take the source from better days and make it more than what you saved. I think that those words are less important because I sort of came up with a like a phonetic kind of garble at first, just a melody with da, 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 da. that's basically what it started as. And I sort of filled in the words that made sense. So I guess what that those two lines mean to me is that you take the sores, the pain from the past, and then you make it more than what happened to you back then. And you kind of, you take from it, you accept it, and you move on, make something better. So I wanted to have that positive message kind of echoing throughout this whole project, lyrically. I hear certain influences in this album that when I was listening to it, I, I kind of turned to my partner and said, um, who does this sound like to you? Uh, because there's there's certain kind of early 90s influences. I mean, I almost hear a little bit of like The Cure in there. I don't know if that's something that, that was part of your your influences, but, but I don't know. And maybe some... Yeah, but anyway, sorry. I, I was interested to see what you think because I know it's different for everyone, no matter what you listen to. And I think The Cure is a good example because I don't think The Cure was a direct influence on this project, but they influenced the bands that influenced this project. So for example, like I bring up Dinosaur Jr. Um, one of their most famous songs is a cover by The Cure, Just Like Heaven. I would sort of associate it more with that Dinosaur Jr. sound, but of course, so many 90s bands were influenced by the 80s. 
and by bands like The Cure and Joy Division, like they played a super important part in all of that. David Bowie, all of that. I wouldn't personally cite those as direct influences. I would say more the 90s sound. Of course, like you, you can kind of trace back influences from generation to generation. So that's why I can't say you're wrong because it's all connected, really. What, what was the first instrument you learned on? I started on bass, which is rare. Most people start on guitar and then eventually learn bass after a while. I guess the reason I chose bass was it was pretty calculated, I would say. I knew I, wa- I didn't want to be behind the drum set. I didn't feel at the time that I was a singer at my core and I knew too many people played guitar so I figured if I found this niche that was playing bass and I got really good at it I could get gigs and it actually worked like I've been playing bass for a long time and and I haven't been short of any musical opportunity since I started so it, it was that your method at least let me broaden this out to your whole album did was was the bass if you start with music first was was the bass kind of where you started with a lot of your songs or just just this one in particular in this one in particular it did start with the bass you know honestly it changes a lot of the time but usually it starts with either guitar or bass and i think for the other songs in this project other than um the fourth track it's called passing me by that one also started with bass that's kind of like the main line that drives the whole song is the bass part but the rest of them i think definitely started with guitar mainly because i'm not a very versatile guitar player like what you hear on the album is like 95 percent of my guitar playing style just distorted rock chords most of the time. I kind of use that to my advantage where if, okay, if this is what I can do on the guitar, let this be a starting point and I'll build everything else around it. And I didn't want bass to be the center of it either. I wanted, if I were to, for example, play it with a band and I'm not playing bass on these songs, I want someone to be able to just pick up the bass and be able to play the part without struggling too hard. Did you play a majority of the instruments on this? I, I tried to look at, at like the notes, and uh, uh, but Bandcamp didn't seem to say much. So When you listen to the final product, everything was created by me. Uh, the drums are programmed drums in the software, but I mean, I wrote all the parts for the drums. Everything else was played by me, recorded directly into software, and I sang everything to a microphone just like this, and that was it. Excellent. Excellent. Well, um, so are you, do you have your own studio in in your home or is this like do you go do you have your own spot i guess before this project even started there were a lot of diy home studios throughout urbana you might remember from house shows there was a house called portlandia from like 2018 to 2019 where my friends lived at and they had a great studio set up alan zoo your beautiful ruin he had his headquarters in that house you could say and that was a treated studio that it was a diy studio but it was treated and you know he'd produce there and all kinds of rappers singers musicians would come through the studio and just record with alan all the time so that was like the first uh studio environment that I really got involved with here in Urbana. And then after that, we all sort of have our own home studio setups. Now it's kind of easy as long as you have a laptop and an interface, a couple guitars, you can pretty much make whatever you want. So other than the first couple songs, which I did at Siobhan's place, everything else I just did at home, kind of quarantine style before the quarantine happened. How often are you thinking about the chords that you're creating through your melodic line? Or are you... um, Or do you kind of feel it out? Do you know what key it's in and then you just kind of feel out the the sounds the the harmonies those kind of things because there's this kind of cool counterpoint that you do with the bass and the guitar where you're both kind of doing these uh, the the single notes back and forth and there's like this counterpoint and and it's just kind of they're kind of weaving in and out these these harmonies and I was just curious if that was something that you 
just kind of felt out or you were like, okay, I know that I'm playing an A minor here, so I need to play these notes, you know, that kind of thing. I do have a background in music theory. When I was in high school, I learned how to read music. I learned all about music theory and I wouldn't say I was very advanced with it. I never learned too much more than just the basics and reading music. I don't know a lot about chords and intervals and modes. For that part in particular that you're talking about, I did just play it. I didn't really think about any of the notes I was playing. I sort of played the first part on one part of the neck. I slid up about halfway and played another part on top of it. That part came together pretty quickly. It was just what came in the moment. But yeah, just sticking within that key and just writing two parts that uh, played off each other. I wasn't thinking too much about music theory at that. I'm not a music major. I don't know too much about that stuff, but I did try to come up with something that sounded good and that was more important than anything. There are certain ways that you can look at something music-wise very intellectually and it will sound great and you can look at it very emotionally and it'll sound great but you know the way that you get there is different and so for me I find that really interesting like how how do you approach it and how do you think about music in general I'm glad you brought that up that's that's one of my favorite things to talk about with other musicians when I when I think of strictly feel-based musicians I think of someone like Keith Moon just like throwing his drum set down the stairs making all these crazy faces drummer the who he like personifies like the feel-based musician to me and then when I think of like you know like that intellectual point of view you start to get into the world of jazz and people who are really know everything that's going on someone like uh you know Jacob Collier modern day like it can really tell you everything that's happening from a theory perspective and every possible branching scenario from there from a music music theory point of view and uh i guess my response to that is you need sort of a hybrid of both however you choose to balance those two schools of thought is up to you and that's what makes music different for everybody so that's i'm glad you brought that up that's definitely one of my favorite things to talk about with musicians to me this is your solo project right so you it, it had to be kind of the distilled you right so it wasn't like uh, somebody else was playing some of the parts that you had written and it had their particular flavor this is all you right which is another one of those fascinating things that with home studios we can kind of pull this off right it, it's something that I, I don't think was I mean, unless you had like a four-track Tascam or something like that, you couldn't really do that, you know, say 20 years ago. I just find it fascinating, this, this idea that it's like, it's the pure you coming through in these songs. To add on that, your home studio concept, to anyone who's listening, like, this was not a high-budget thing at all. Like, let me just say, like, I have the most basic music recording equipment you can find, and none of my instruments are that you know, valuable or expensive, I would say, relatively speaking. So, I mean, all of this stuff can be done without spending too much bread these days. So that's something that I want to hammer on. At what point did you realize that the, the story was kind of forming that like these ideas of picturing better days or, or reflecting upon your past and then kind of moving forward? I don't know. In some ways, I also get this feel like it's it's this idea of, you know, progressing and making things better in the future, but also knowing that some things just never change in some ways. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but maybe that's my own viewpoint. How did this kind of come about to be this story, this um, this idea of this day after day? I try not to force the narrative most of the time. I sort of will write the song and I'll tweak it so that the words flow well and that the lyrics make sense. And then once they're done, I can kind of look back on it and see you know, what came up 
And I think that in itself, lyricism and songwriting to me has always been not only a point of like expression and catharsis, but it's also uh, a point of self-discovery. So my last band, STLB, that was a lot of what would happen. I would write the lyrics to these songs and I'd look back on them and I'd, I'd realize that subconsciously they were coming from all these experiences that I'd had up to that point. I, I know some of the projects I've done in the past, I can look back on them and be like, I know that in the year leading up to me writing these lyrics, like this, this, and this would happen. And so subconsciously, like that's what bubbled up to the surface it, through this music. When you wrote this, were you, were you thinking of a particular person that you were communicating with? I think this song in particular was more to a general audience, you know, people who I think would listen to this music you know, need to hear certain things, you know, at least from my perspective. And this is my way of sharing some positivity that I would want them to hear. And there are other songs on this project, like uh, Going Nowhere. Those songs are about specific people, you know, friends, relationships, things like that. Another reason I wanted this to be the first one is because it does address like a general group of people. Like we is the subject of this song. And I think it's like, you know, people like myself, people who might be going through something or just anyone who happens to stumble on this album you know they can feel like they can relate to it from the first song do you have a favorite musical line in this or do you have a uh, a favorite lyrical line in the second verse it says feel a flow inside my dream and bring it out from where i sleep i think that one is about creativity when you have an idea a lot of times you'll be lying in bed and an idea will come to your head and you'll immediately you know, get up and start to work on it, whatever it may be. And I think it was important to mention that because this is like a solo effort and this is like my first solo effort. So thinking about like getting up and doing something that you've always wanted to do, you know, like capitalizing on an idea, I think that's a powerful message. Um, and I also tried to sort of use the words to weave in influences. Uh, Where I Sleep is a bit of a play on words of one of my favorite songs, When I Sleep by My Bloody Valentine. There's a couple other references I stuck in this song. Um, no Surprises for You and Me. No Surprises is a Radiohead song. And I think, uh, I know you get just what you see. I think that's a, that's a line from a Dinosaur Jr. song, actually. It's a, it's a play on a line from a Dinosaur Jr. song. So that's that's in the chorus. So that's that's what I was trying to remember. And and they are and they are vague. Like the idea was to make them vague. I didn't necessarily want to like put it out on my sleeve. It just sort of comes subconsciously. Like I said, um, I'm I'm letting these influences come up to the surface rather than forcing them on you. I'm gonna just kind of dive into one of these weird things that I like to dive into because you brought it up. Is is these like, isn't it kind of fascinating that we can make with making a reference with just a few words a few lines that we can make a reference to another song that that kind of opens up into another uh concept altogether like it, it's like you're you're packaging it's it's like um I don't know. They're like the Tide Pods of, of uh, you know what I mean? Like, they're all just packed in there, all concentrated. And then just you drop these little Tide Pods everywhere and, and it and they like, um, they just kind of come with all the this extra, I want to say baggage, but that's not the right word, but extra context. There's double entendres throughout that. Like, yeah, there's a reference to music, but the line itself is also talking about, you know, my worldview, my experiences. I know you get just what you see. It's like you will receive whatever you bring into your life. You know, it has that meaning to it. 
but it also has these personal meanings to me, like influences that I like in music, you know? And they just all happen to work. That's why I also like to keep the lyrics short and really simple and kind of vague. That's uh, another 90s trick I picked up. Um, I think the king of that was Kurt Cobain. Simple, kind of enigmatic lyrics that told a lot with a little. And I think that was my goal, is to not have a lot of lyrics on the page, but just to get a message across as succinctly as I could. I think you kind of touched on this a little bit, but why was this uh, your favorite song to to talk about today? I think the reason that I wanted to talk about this one in particular is because, well, first of all, like this is kind of where it started. Trevon and I were making this song together, and there was no, there's not even a thought in my mind that day that I would be working on a solo project, you know? And we sort of made the song. It was a rough version of the song. It wasn't what you hear on the album now. We made this demo and we sort of looked at it and and he sort of looked at me and he knew that it was very 90s influenced and he knew that that was a big part of my musical upbringing. And he said, this is more of a you song than an us song. Like, I think you should just take this demo and do your own thing with it. And I sort of dragged him along for a little bit longer. The second song, Bulldog, he and I kind of made together. But at that point, I was pretty much playing everything and he was kind of sitting there and he sort of said, listen, you need to take some more of these songs and work on them on your own. And I was like, all right, it's time. It's solo project time. And I knew that day would come. I just didn't know when. So I I picked this song day after day just because it was when everything kind of started for that. And I sort of went from not even thinking about doing a solo project to realizing like I already had the first song done and then going from there. Was this something that you have ever thought about doing? This is something that I've like overthought about and got into like, you know, thought loops and, you know, ruminations about, you know, like, should it be this? Should it be that? And I think a lot of that rumination was a result of just being in a lot of different styles of bands and different types of bands. Like by the time I'd been like involved with the Urbana scene here, I was playing bass in a funk band. I was backing an R&B slash rapper. I was DJing for hip hop sets and I was making rock music with my old band back home in the suburbs. So I had all these genres and I just thought I had to mix them all together in order for it to work. And I realized I didn't have to do that at all. I realized all I had to do was start from the beginning and that the beginning for me was like, you know, alternative rock and indie rock. And I I just sort of went with it. it. It came so naturally and so easily. It didn't even feel like work most of the time. So, so were you thinking maybe that at some point you had just overcomplicated it to the point where just you couldn't you couldn't make a decision because you were like, well, I could play it this way, but I could play it this way, but I could you couldn't get them to kind of meet in the middle. Is that am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, definitely, and I think at least from my experience and being friends with a lot of artists and musicians, I think two of the biggest obstacles that prevent people from like putting something out there is overthinking it, ruminating, and uh, perfectionism, of all things. Because if you're too much of a perfectionist, then you'll never release anything. Because nothing can be perfect. I don't think this album is perfect by any means. I do think it's funny, though, that this song, the reason that this song came about and was so... I, I don't know. I'm just looping this all back in. But uh, the fact that this song was the first song that started it all was based upon the fact that you were playing it on a bass that was completely imperfect. Uh, I I picked up this bass and Siobhan was like, yeah, this bass is broken, but I use it anyway. And, and you know, Siobhan uh, released a project of his last year called uh, The Nomad, which is a six song EP uh, completely made by him. And he played that broken bass on there and it sounds great on there. I picked it up for the first time and I had an idea from that too. You know, I mean, 
you can make things work, you know, regardless of whether or not they're good or bad. It's just how you choose to view it. I mean, it's a little philosophical, but I think it's valuable for people to understand. Even in the midst of the current shelter-in-place order, the Jubilee Cafe is continuing to serve packaged, home-cooked meals free to all every Monday evening, 5 to 6.30 p.m. Meals are available for pickup outside the 6th Street door to the Community United Church of Christ in Champaign, Illinois, 805 South 6th Street in Champaign. Jubilee Cafe's mission remains the same. Feed hungry people by cooking healthy and delicious meals. We are open to anyone who cares to receive a meal. For information on the meal or how to volunteer, go to the Jubilee Cafe CUCC Facebook page or email us at jubilee.cafe at community-ucc.org. Welcome back. So, um, let's talk about the Champaign-Urbana music scene. How long have you been a part of the Champaign-Urbana music scene? Right. So, I would say I first started playing music in Champaign-Urbana um, right in January of 2017. Um, I started school in fall of 2016. I'm about to graduate this May as a senior in my undergrad. It's a strange time to be graduating from college. It's still graduating, so <laughs> that's fine. I started in uh, January of 2017, kind of searching for a band since I got to college. I, I tried to start something with my roommates my first semester of college, and that didn't really go as I would have liked it to. I would have liked to take a little more time into it and taking a little bit more seriously. I started to meet people who were musicians that wanted to do the things that I wanted to do in January of 2017. Kind of on a whim, I was going through the class of 2020 Facebook page for UIUC. This man, Joey Parker, uh, made a post on Facebook saying that he was looking for musicians to play with and that he was a a jazz pianist and uh, he wanted to jam with people. And so I met Joey and we sort of linked up. They were already had a group at the time called the Apothecaries. Their bass player had just left right at the beginning of 2017, and there was a spot open. So I, you know, I showed up and I played really well. And they loved what I had to offer. So it was a five-piece group where we played uh, R&B songs, just groove-inspired songs, some funk in there as well, and. Uh, we were called the Apothecaries, and so I played with them for the first part of 2017. Eventually, the singer of that band left, and so we just decided to continue as a four-piece. We replaced the singer with a sax player named Kevin King, and then renamed ourselves the Data Waves. And so the Apothecaries sort of rebirthed as the Data Waves. You know, as the Apothecaries, I want to say we were playing a gig almost every single weekend. I, I sort of just dove right in to the DIY scene here. Basically, as soon as I met these guys, like we just started gigging in basements immediately. You know, that was great. I mean, I got to meet so many people. Like I met CJ Run doing that, who I started to play gigs for after that. I met, you know, Alan, Your Beautiful Ruin, everyone who was throwing shows at that time through like Audible Meets and a lot of these show houses, you know, became good friends of ours. And so uh, we continued that with the data waves. We started picking up venue shows and playing around the area. Playing with CJ, we got to do Pygmalion Festival right at the end of 2017, opening for Smino. We got to just, you know, continue to be a part of everything that's going on around here. As part of the DIY scene, do you, do you have a particular favorite DIY 
like venue. It can be still in existence or no longer in existence. Top two for me would probably be Audible Meets, which is no longer around, or at least the owners aren't throwing shows anymore. And then, because that was just one of the bigger rooms that was available and, you know, that room was always full. You know, it was great to play in front of people like that. The other really big spot was uh, the Oregon House in Urbana that kind of has been <laughs> traded ownerships between a venue and also a fraternity house time after time so we got lucky and were able to play a show there when it was still you know considered a venue around the diy scene do you have a favorite show that you've played at it could be with the data waves or uh with cj run or Mm, favorite show man i'm not even particularly sure i think the entire tour that we did with cj run in april 2018 we went to iowa city and came back that was just probably the most fun i've ever had playing music with people just being able to travel and just like be in the car you know just having fun with music that was just a great experience overall and you know made a lot of good friends doing that do you have a favorite show that you've seen in the champagne urbana music scene or i remember like my very first show i was blown away uh, i was a band called the threads who i don't think they're around here anymore i think they're based out of lamont but i remember seeing them for the first time having my mind blown i've never really gone to like basement shows or anything that was really great the first time i saw cj run was at allen hall that at a gig we were doing with the apothecaries and i immediately like introduced myself and i'm like listen like you're a rapper we're a band like let's get in touch when the time comes and that did happen so i remember that sticking out to me significantly and now it's just a matter of just going around and seeing what people are up to you're graduating in may are you planning on sticking around or are you thinking of taking your your talent to uh another town i think uh the plan right now is to stay at least until you know i graduate and then sort of see what happens from there ideally i would like to go either to chicago or la chicago seems the most likely in the near future i think the goal would be since i've been here for so long and played music here for so long to keep champagne on the map for future tours and future shows and to be coming back here to you know support the people who want to hear our music so in terms of like non-diy venues is do you have a do you have a favorite you know i think i've had a lot of fun playing at the main canopy club stage i I don't think the sound there for the performer is that great you kind of struggle to hear what's going on when you're on that stage but it's the big stage so you always have a lot of fun playing there was 2017 the first year that you played pygmalion or did you play before yeah 2017 was the first year and then I didn't play in 2018. A couple other members of Data Waves did. And then the Data Waves had our first Pygmalion set this past year, 2019. Did you have a band uh, in high school? Yeah, yeah. I had a couple of bands in high school. I started jamming with people from an early age, like eighth grade, ninth grade. I'd been learning bass before that, probably beginning of middle school. And then by the end of middle school, I started jamming with people. We, didn't, we weren't any good early on but we had a band going basically all the way from my freshman year of high school all the way up until i graduated and i ended up being in a few different bands at that point first the main one that i was in i was the bassist and the singer is a stlb and then i also uh, joined my friend's band whatever you're into all those guys are still friends with main and we still talk all the time and then we also had uh, the first funk group i ever played with funk jazz i would say was uh the delectable deal that's a delectable deal not delectable so we were kind of like a little bit of a like amateur funk jazz group and that is kind of where i decided that when i was in college i wanted to continue that sort of avenue with and that's what happened with the apothecaries and eventually the data waves so if you do go to chicago or la is there is there anything in particular that you'll miss about the champagne urbana music scene or 
Yeah, definitely. I think what's what's great around here is that I don't anticipate the music world being that much different than it is here. It might just be on a different scale. The resources are all here for you if you seek them out. If you're a creative person and you want to play shows, if you want to gig, if you want to meet people, this is a place to do it, like without a doubt. I mean, that's the main thing to take away. Like people might look at like a small town, central Illinois and think there might not be opportunities, but there definitely are opportunities and you just you can definitely seek them out. Do you have a favorite Champagne Urbana band? Yeah, I'm just trying to uh, I'm trying to make sure that my knowledge is up to date. I know a lot of people come and go in this town. Anka with the Dawn Patrol is doing some great stuff. Good friends with her. I think she's doing awesome stuff. Annika, great singer. I know Owen's Funeral, they've been playing recently. Ones that I really liked, either moved out, you know, after graduating or the band sort of fell apart. I know Flat Moon Theory was definitely one of my favorites when they were around. Um, Adobo when he was here who I still talk to all the time and uh, CJ of course who I played countless gigs with CJ that's the sad part is just I, I feel like the Champagne Urbana music scene kind of trains people up they really want to have a full music career they've got to move to a bigger city and and so I am sad to see them go because I would like to be able to see them more often I think a lot of people shouldn't take for granted what you can gain just from being around here and playing you know for the town like this I think it's I think it's a great experience it's a great way to learn and I think there's great people to meet here too I mean a lot of the connections I'll take with me you know wherever I go it's not something to take for granted for sure no matter how you choose to perceive it I feel like you're absolutely right that that you can't discount what Champaign-Urbana can teach you because it's definitely you have to kind of cut your teeth on Champaign-Urbana to know how to engage an audience I feel but maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong but no and I think the audiences are just as competent here as they would be anywhere else so you need to be able to you know, get them moving, get them engaged no matter what. And I mean, we've learned that through data waves and through everything else we've been able to do here. You can see an audience's response and you know that it's not going to be different anywhere else. Like people will respond, you know, no matter what. Do You said you went on a tour with uh, CJ around... Um, I, around the Midwest, I'm assuming, or even other places. But did you did you see a big difference in terms of the audience? At least in the Midwest, the cities we were going to were like similar in nature to Champaign. So like, you know, Davenport, Iowa, Iowa City, another college town. Um, we did do an Urbana show on that gig. Even like, you know, Chicago summer festivals, I think it was similar, you know? A lot of crowds are connected, you know? For example, for a CJ show that we did, like one of CJ's friends in Champaign will tell their friends in Chicago to go out to this gig because they love to see CJ run or, you know, some of our friends in Chicago will get the chance to see the dataways because they're not always in Champaign kind of thing. And I think people are connected, you know, over these distances. So a lot of times it is the same. And I think that's valuable to understand because, you know, if you can't do it here, it's not like moving is going to change anything. You have to be do- able to do it no matter where you go. And I think that's, that's a great challenge of any live performance for that matter. Audiences have always been great to us here, you know, like honestly more supportive than you could ever expect. And I think that's, that's really valuable. You know, people definitely like receive us positively when we perform around here. Um, they're always, you know, asking for more. We try to talk to as many people as we can after the show because that's, that's part of it too. That's definitely part of it. COVID-19 got you down? You looking for some music? Some video games? Well, Exile Main Street still has all the things you need. New and used LPs, CDs, and video games. Exile Main Street still has something for any music enthusiast and old-school gaming devotee. 
Exile Main Street is taking orders, making deliveries, and pickups by appointment. They can find just about any music or video game you need. Check out their website, exilemainstreet.com, for links to their Discogs page for new additions. You can also contact them via Facebook Messenger to see what they can find for you. They can also be reached on Instagram, Twitter, email, or phone at 217-398-MAIN. That's 217-398-6246. Welcome back. What is your favorite non-musical thing? Man, I think it's got to be the football season. I love watching football and following the league and... I'm a big Bears fan, and I don't know. I just I love football. I'm not a huge sports fan, but I just love the game of football. I think it's just a part of who I am. I was in marching band in all of high school, all four years. I was a sousaphone player, and just being around the around the high school football field for that long and being a Bears fan since I was a kid has just been awesome. And I, I love following football. I was just watching the NFL draft before this, actually. I feel like we just kind of glazed over. Did you say you were a sousaphone player? Yeah, yeah. I, I actually, uh, we, we can talk about this a little bit. So when I was in high school in Naperville, I played tuba quite well, actually. I was, my senior year, I was one chair away from being an all-state tuba player. So I mean, I definitely grinded playing the tuba and I had an excellent private lesson teacher who is probably the only reason I stuck with it for that long because he was a great teacher of music, but the way he taught is something I still try to keep in my practice to this day. Uh, his name is Joshua Beery. He's an excellent tuba player and he's just an excellent music teacher in general. He taught me how to approach music with discipline, how to approach it with a great sense of focus and a great attention to detail that I don't think I would have gotten even from a so-called amazing music edu- public music education program. I think just having that private lesson time with Josh Beery was like super valuable and I still carry a lot of those lessons today. Yeah, and I was in marching band for four years and I carried that tuba everywhere. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, I just totally pictured uh, you, uh, you know, going, going on your first date or something. It's like, what is that? Now, oh, sorry, that's my tuba. And w- I'm not even kidding. Like, I mean, everywhere. <laughs> oh. <laughs> nice. I took my tuba I, to the bathroom. I'm not playing around. I took it in the shower. Back to football. Um, so, are you, are you a, uh, so always uh, NFL, not college, or? Yeah, I mean, I never got super deep into college football. Illinois football, I, I sort of followed this past year because we were doing pretty well. You know, I, I, I sort of, I keep an eye on college football, but I definitely follow the NFL a lot more closely. Bears are your favorite team. Uh, is What's your what's your least favorite team? Packers. Easy. <laughs> well, I know, but I, I, I feel like I had to say it, but... Um, yeah, yeah. So... Um, I don't like the Eagles either. I'll just say that now. <laughs> so, um, is there a reason you don't like philly or what it's nothing against philly it's just a personal thing oh okay okay just just curious you've just always been a bears fan i mean i wasn't like a super dedicated football fan all the time there there there's a period where i was not following and you know it comes and goes but now it's just like it's just a it's one of my favorite things that i look forward to during the year so what what about football is it that that like just appeals to you a few things um the scale i think the way that it's set up is really interesting because you only play 17 weeks, 17 ga- 16 games in a season. The games are very big scale. 
you have a huge stadium, which compared to any other sport, it's just a huge scale. Other than maybe like soccer, you don't have those kinds of stadiums. I also love that it's strictly an American thing, and I, I kind of pride myself on having that American exclusivity. You know, something that like is just strictly American. That I don't know. It, uh, I can kind of attach myself to that as part of my identity as being an American as well as being yeah. a first-gen Indian-American. Being an American, too, is just... I don't know. It's a cool privilege, in my opinion. So, football is part of that. I can't really think of very many other things that that are to that scale in terms of an event or, you know... I mean, you can't even say basketball has the same kind of size at all. Honestly, the, the entertainment aspect of both the NFL and the NBA is like... Yeah, they might make some questionable decisions how they treat their players and how they run the organizations, but it's so entertaining and they do it on such a wide scale. I think it's a beautiful thing, you know. I, I take something from that for sure. And I guess if any other thing other than football really pulls my attention, it's stand-up comedy because that is that is something that amazes me every day. You know, like seeing stand-up comics doing their thing is an amazing thing to me. I've never <laughs> quite figured that out. When you say that you're you're impressed by that, I was just curious if it's just um, like being able to do it as a presentation or just like having a full, like a solid five minutes or a solid 20, you know, that kind of thing. Like, I don't know. I'm just curious what, what about it. So, I mean, I go up on stage with five other people, loud guitars, loud amps, loud instruments, and you'll still you'll play to a room and people won't move an inch you know sometimes that happens and then my perspective for a comedian is they go up there with nothing but a microphone and a water bottle and they have to try and do the same thing I mean, obviously people aren't going to dance and jump around but you have to make them laugh you have to engage them with just yourself and i think that's a very profound and uh daunting thing to do so i i have nothing but respect for that so and i'm also wondering here's here's my like d deep dive in my own brain i'm just like well is comedy to a certain extent less universal than music i do agree with you with that um because music can trans transcend languages which is very important another reason why i tend to focus more on music than lyrics is the language barrier for a lot of people, you want to reach a global audience if you can. And I guess another thing is uh, styles of humor vary by where you are in the world. Like American humor doesn't always translate in places like in Europe and British humor doesn't usually translate well in America. And that's just reality because people like see the world differently. They see comedy differently. They think some things are funny and some things are not funny. So yeah, that, that makes it all the more difficult too. Yeah. And, and, and possibly more risky. Oh yes, definitely. It's a more difficult field definitely more difficult field than music and as if music is not already hard enough you know to make enough money and to you know the, to build a fan base comedy is just that much harder at least that's how i see it maybe other people will see it differently comedians maybe i would certainly be more comfortable on stage with like an acoustic guitar in my hands than just a microphone in my hand trying to come up with funny things to say uh aditya i thank you for being on the show and telling me about how your song Day After Day was created and about the Champaign-Urbana music scene, your favorite non-musical thing, and congratulations for 
you know, your upcoming graduation. And I uh, really look forward to seeing what you create in the future and and uh, somehow hearing about you when you're in Chicago or in L.A. about something um, amazing you've done. So I, I thank you for coming on the show and connecting with me digitally during this kind of difficult time uh, to kind of coordinate. And uh, thank you for reaching out. And, and I'm so glad to be able to, I guess, meet you this way um, and, uh, and talk with you. So um, thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate it so much. Thank you for having me, man. I'm glad I was able to talk about everything with you. Thank you for listening to Champagne is also a band podcast. This is Aditya Kashyap reminding you, great music is out there. Go find it where you live. You almost have an NPR voice, it's so good. South <laughs> <laughs> on the inside.